Good morning, Jen. Good morning. You guys know I'm, I usually do get emotional, but uh, I don't know, that wasn't a good time. During that screening time, I would get real emotional. So I don't know how we'll do here today with this message. But uh, turn to John chapter 1, please. John chapter 1. Uh, when the children, when they show up to, um, or they show up at the beaver's house, and C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, they are very distraught because their brother Edward, right, has fallen under the spell of the wicked witch, is employed in her service in virtual slavery. The children want to race off and begin a battle with the, with the witch in an effort to rescue their brother. But the beavers, they have a better plan. First, they advise, we have to find Aslan, and then we can follow his lead. Mrs. Beaver explained it with these simple words. One team with us, then we can begin doing things. In a way, that's the preposition behind the entire Gospel of John. We're a mess on this planet. And sometimes we're a mess in our own lives. The evil one, he holds sway over the ebb and flow of the world events, and he often holds sway even over our own lives. But the Word became flesh. God became a human being named Jesus Christ. Now that he's with us, we can begin doing things. John chapter 1 is full, rich with uh, all kinds of truth regarding Christ. And uh, I just, this season, I've just been meditating on three verses we're going to look at this morning. But it's just verse 10, 11, and 12. Verse 10, it begins this, he was in the world. And the world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So may the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's just pray. Our Father, we thank you that Jesus was in the world. Once he was with us. Then we can begin doing things. We thank you for this time of year where we can celebrate uh, the incarnation of God, knowing and understanding his first advent was for the purpose of saving man from their sins. We're thankful for the wonder of Christmas. We're thankful for um, just the, the wonder of our salvation. And uh, again, perhaps this morning, as we look at it once more, that you would just uh, give us a new sense of awe when we consider your plan and how it unfolded in saving people like us. 
We thank you, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just want to talk about two things this morning. One, I want to look at the greatest perplexity in the world. The greatest perplexity in the world, and then I want to look at the greatest privilege in the world. Just those two things. And considering the greatest perplexity in the world, verse 10, it starts off, he was in the world. It was an incredible grace, right, that the Lord of life and glory would ever come to live on this tiny planet. Right? It, it would not be newsworthy to say to anyone else, he was in the world. Right? You can think of anybody. Then to say that that person was in the world, now I'm on. You know, my dad is going to kill you. Because every week he listens to me goes, what's with the sound in this chapel? The first five minutes, I hear nothing, and all of a sudden it comes on. Now we know why. Sorry, Dad. Um, but it would not be newsworthy. It would not be newsworthy to say to anyone, he was in the world, right? That is something over which man has no control. Okay? You had no control over the fact that you are in this world. But for him... It was a deliberate choice, okay? an act of wonderful compassion. And it all happened in a moment, a most remarkable moment. As moments go, right, that one appeared no different than any other moment. It came and it went. It was preceded and succeeded by others just like it. It was one of countless moments that has marked time since eternity became measurable. But in reality, that particular moment was like none other. Because through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became a man. While the creatures of earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. Not only was he in the world, right, but it says, and the world was made through him. The wonder increases, right? The one who is in the world is actually the one who made the world. He who fills the universe compressed himself. into the body of a baby, of a youth, of a man. And in that body dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead. I just kept thinking this season, right? Jesus at any moment, right, could have said, nah, no way. Right, think of this, man. Think of Jesus Bigger than the universe. And his father says, yeah, I want you to enter that embryo. Nah. Nah. You know that world that we created? Those creatures that you created? I want you to become one of them. I don't think so. The omnipotent in one instant, made himself breakable. 
he who is spirit became pierceable. He who is larger than the universe became an embryo. He who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. Consider for a moment God as a fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being made. Why didn't Jesus just quit? Why didn't he give up? As he's developing inside this young girl's womb, why wouldn't he just like, listen, I'm going home. I'm not doing this. And it's not even that he was in the world, right? And that the world was made through him. But it says, and the world didn't even know him. The creator neglected. Emmanuel ignored. This was the case of inexcusable ignorance. The creatures should have recognized their creator. Sinners should have been struck by his sinlessness. They should have known by his words and his works that he was more than just a man. But Jesus never gave up. He never quit. It says he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. See John here. John heightens the irony of the world not knowing Jesus. There's actually a word play here in Greek. The first, his own, he came to his own, is actually in the neuter sense, refers to like his own property um, or his home. Uh, remember, Rob Brennan was actually here earlier this year, did a beautiful job sharing how very well it could be that that very inn that Mary and Joseph tried to get in, there was no room for it, could have belonged to Jesus. If they had followed with the year of Jubilee and all the, the laws regarding that, very well could have been his very own property. But we know at least that it was in the sense that he made it. Right? But the idiom here, came to his own, it, it means to come home. Now it's been said, right, home is where, when you go there, they have to take you in. Right? I mean, if no one else is going to take you, who will? You're home. Jesus came to the people who should have known him best. They wanted nothing to do with him. Jesus came home to his own people, to the people of Israel. And this phrase here emphasizes that they were his own kinsmen, his own kinsmen, and yet still, they did not receive him. I like the NET translation that says this. It says, he came to what was his own, but his own people did not receive him. Not only was the Creator neglected, but the Savior was rejected. They should have recognized Jesus as their promised Messiah. Prophesied up in their scripture, 
but he wasn't the kind of Messiah that they envisioned or wanted. They were hoping for a political Messiah who would deliver them from Rome's power and provide peace and prosperity. They didn't see their need for a savior from sin, and so they rejected the true light who made them and who rightfully owned them. At any point, Jesus could have said, all right, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going home. But he didn't. It's amazing to me. I I won't uh, share the entire story again because some of you heard it, but I was sharing a story at uh, the celebration night of a time where we have a rabbit, and uh, the rabbit got out of its cage, and Elijah was trying to get the rabbit back to its home. And uh, again, it's amazing what things you can learn from a rabbit but regarding ourselves. But it's amazing to me that uh, no matter how many times the kids try to help Teeny, was the rabbit's name, get to where it needs to go, right? Teeny's response was always to run in the opposite direction. That's what we did. That's what God's own people did. He came to save them. He said, no, nah, and they just turn and they go the opposite direction. And what's amazing to me is why didn't Jesus say, okay, then, that's it, all right? I've had enough. But he didn't. What we see in verse 12, I think, is the greatest privilege in the world. And so there's sad news and there's glad news, right? The, the, first, the sad news is that the world did not know him and his own did not receive him. But then there's glad news, and that is this, is not everyone rejected the word. Not everyone. In fact, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It says, but as many as received him, an unrestricted invitation goes out. It is for Jews and Gentiles alike. The sole condition is that they must receive him. The Redeemer must be received. This word received is an action word, an active word, with a deep meaning. It literally means to take or to seize. You see, those who receive Christ are those who welcome or accept Him into their lives. Jesus is God's gift to us at Christmas. We can choose to ignore Him or reject Him, or we can take what has been freely offered to us. Have you taken hold of him? Have you received him into your life? You see, in the early 1800s, President Andrew Jackson issued a full pardon to George Wilson, a man who was sentenced to be hanged. Wilson refused it. But could he legally refuse the president's pardon? Supreme Court Justice John Marshall declared the value of the pardon depends upon its acceptance. If it is refused, there is no pardon. George Wilson must hang. And Wilson hanged. You see, to pardon everyone's sin, Christ shed his blood on the cross. The price was paid. But each individual must first receive this forgiveness. 
And it says, to them he gave the right to become children of God. What an undeserved honor. That rebel sinners should become children of God through a miracle of love and grace. The right that John used here means it means a legitimate claim. Much like a birth certificate proves that you are the child of your natural father. The fact that those who believe become children of God means that all people are not God's children by natural birth. To become God's child requires a spiritual new birth. It says even to those who believe in his name. You see, the terms could not be simpler. Authority to become children of God is granted to all those who by a definite act of faith receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. His name refers to all that Jesus is in his person as the eternal word made flesh. It refers to all that he did by dying on the cross as the substitute for your sins. Believing in his name means that you stop relying on your own merits and works as the way to approach God, and instead you rely totally on what Jesus did for you on the cross. It means that when you stand before God, your only hope for heaven is not your good works, but rather that Jesus died for your sins, and you are trusting in him alone. Often when I share the gospel with people, they tell me that they have received Christ, because they think that they're receiving Christ when they take the communion wafer. But when, you, when I question them on why God should let them into heaven, they say that they've gone to Mass and confession, they've lived a good life, etc. But the Bible makes it clear that receiving Christ means to rely on Him totally as the payment for your sin. Taking communion and going to Mass or doing penance, can never qualify you for heaven. I'm so thankful that Jesus never quit. Jesus never quit because he is love. The Bible tells us that love endures all things. You see, Jesus endured the distance right? He endured the, the, the distance between God and man. Jesus never gave up. But why didn't he? What kept Jesus from giving up? I wonder if uh, Lee Ielpi understands the answer. Some of you may have heard this story. Lee Ielpi is a retired New York City firefighter. He gave 26 years of service to the city. But on September 11th, 2001, he gave much more. He gave his son. Jonathan Ielpi was a fireman like his dad. And when the Twin Towers fell, Jonathan was there. 
Now, firefighters are a loyal clan. When one perishes in the line of duty, the body is left there, left where it is until a firefighter who knows the person can come and quite literally pick it up. Lee made the discovery of his son's body his personal mission. He dug daily with dozens of others at that 16-acre graveyard. Three months. Three months after the disaster, his son was found. And Lee was there to carry him out. He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He refused to turn and leave. Why? See, because his love for his son was greater than the pain of the search. Jesus Christ didn't quit because his love for his children was greater than the pain of the journey. Jesus Christ came to pull you out. Your world had collapsed. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's why he came. He loves you. That's why he endured the distance between us. Because love endures all things. That's why he went the final step of the incarnation. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Why did Jesus do that? There's only one answer, and that answer is only one word. Love. Love. The love of Christ bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And the love of Christ endures all things. Let the love of Christ cover all things in your life. All the hurts, all the secrets, all the hours of evil, all the minutes of worry. Jesus never gave up. But also Jesus will never give up. The Bible says that he is not slack in keeping his promise, but his desire, his earnest desire is that none would perish. None. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, won't you do it today? Today. Receive Jesus Christ. Believe in his name. So that you can enjoy a relationship with him. That you can enjoy heaven for all eternity. But if nothing else this season, I want us to know that Jesus endured the distance, came here, never quit because he loved you. Because he loved you. And his love for you was greater than any pain in the journey that he took for us. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, how can we say thanks as we sang this morning? We are eternally grateful for how you demonstrated your love towards us, that even while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for not quitting. Lord Jesus, thank you for not saying, okay, I've had enough, I'm going home. Thank you that because you are love and love endures all things, you endured everything from the moment you entered into a little girl's womb to ultimately when you allowed yourself to be nailed to a cross and become sin for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us that much. Again, I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, who has never received you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would believe in your name, trust you to forgive them of their sins, and that they actually may enjoy the wonderful privilege to become a child of God. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.